We're coming into tax season again very soon. And citizens of countries characteristically object to paying taxes, especially if they see them wasted or if they learn the tax collectors are getting rich from them. The Gospel of Luke bases a narrative on this theme. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem to die. But on the way, he interacts with one of the Jews who collected taxes for the Romans, their Gentile oppressors. How does Jesus react to this man when he meets him? Does he rebuke him, condemn him, despise him, as many would do today? This split sermon explores this biblical account to learn valuable lessons from an incident from the life, teachings, and ministry of Jesus. In particular, a lesson about repentance. The title of today's split sermon is Jericho's Chief Tax Collector. Jericho's Chief Tax Collector. We're going to start in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18. Luke 18, starting in verse 18. And here a certain ruler asked Jesus, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? None is good, save one, that's God. But you know the commandments, and Jesus lists some of them. And the man said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Verse 21. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Yet you lack one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, this man was sorrowful, for he was very rich. Jesus saw he was very sorrowful, and he said, How hardly shall it be that they have riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven? So his disciples asked, Well, who then can be saved? In verse 26, And Jesus said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. This man failed to accept Jesus' invitation for discipleship. But in the rest of our sermon, we're going to learn about one rich man that did, because it was possible by what God accomplished through this man. Go on down to verse 31. So on their way up to Jerusalem, Jesus again says to his disciples, We're going to Jerusalem, verse 31, so that all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. He'll be delivered to the Gentiles, mocked, spiritually, spitefully entreated, spit on, scourged, put to death, and the third day rise again. And they still did not understand these things, and they were afraid to ask. The next story in Luke 18 is about a blind man. On the way into Jericho, because Jesus was coming in from the east, across the Jordan River, on his way to Jerusalem, there's a blind beggar on the way. And hearing the hubbub, he cried out, Who is this man? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. So this man, verse 38, said, Son of David, have mercy on me. People tried to hush him up, but he said all the more fervently, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, that I might receive my sight. 
And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. The man received his sight instantly, and he followed Jesus, verse 43, glorifying God. And all those who saw it praised God. This man wanted to see. Our next story is about a man who had sight, but he runs to see Jesus. And so we're going to go into Luke chapter 19. This is on the way to Jericho. Jericho was a very important city in that time. It was one of the most ancient cities in the world. Located about five miles west of the Jordan River, ten miles northeast, sorry, northwest of the Dead Sea, and about 17 miles northeast by a winding road from Jerusalem. It was 800 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem was 2,300 feet above sea level. And so the elevation change between these two cities was 3,100 feet over those 17 miles. In Jesus' day, the Old Testament Jericho was largely abandoned. But a new city, south of the old one, had been built by Herod the Great. The Old Testament referred to Jericho as the city of palm trees. And Josephus states that the palm groves of Jericho and the gardens of Balsam were given as a source of revenue by Antony to Cleopatra. And afterwards were redeemed by Herod the Great. He obtained Jericho from Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor. And he proceeded to build aqueducts, fortress, monumental winter palace, hippodrome in the vicinity of the more ancient town. And so Jericho at this time is a great and wealthy city of 100,000 inhabitants, estimated by Josephus. And excavations have revealed the Herodian palace structures. There are huge pools that Herod put in. Probably in one of those pools, he had his own son drowned. But Jericho boasted a tropical climate and excellent access to water for agriculture. It was fertile and wealthy, and many wealthy priests lived there and commuted to Jerusalem. This was a major hub for collecting custom duties and taxes for the flow of traffic from east to west. And Jesus is walking through Jericho, going west on his way to Jerusalem for his last Passover and death. And on the road, there were many pilgrims who were on their way for the spring festivals as well. And so there, this is the same backdrop as the parable of the Good Samaritan. In that case, the traveler was going down 3,100 feet. In this case, Jesus and the rest of the entourage were going up 3,100 feet. So chapter 19 of Luke and verse 1, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. And that's putting it mildly, as I'll explain. The name Zacchaeus is Aramaic, from Zakai, meaning pure. And that was the Greek corruption of the Hebrew, Zechariahu. We've had a couple articles that referred to Zacchaeus over the years. Mr. Davy Crockett mentioned him in a commentary he wrote called A Special Calling. 
And then Mr. John O'Gwen had an article in the January, February 2003 LCN, What Do You Love the Most?, in which he also mentions Zacchaeus in about a paragraph time amount. Zacchaeus' name indicates he was Jewish, and he's a chief tax collector. As we will see, and as we see here, chief among the publicans. Publicani is the Latin word from which our word publican comes from, tax collector. Publicanus is a singular. He was the chief tax collector and a rich one. And he would not have been ethical in his business practices, as I will explain. They were considered the worst of collaborators in Jewish eyes because they collected taxes for the hated Romans. And they were the ultimate kinds of sinners. Jews despised tax collectors because they worked for these Roman oppressors. And they especially despised the chief tax collectors because their wealth was built on the backs of the common people. In every province and city, there were several publicans, amongst whom was one was chief. And he was accountable to collect a tribute for the Romans. Now, the word chief tax collector is used only here in our New Testament, just this one time, found nowhere else. And he's the chief tax collector for that area. Chief refers to being a supervisor of other tax collectors in a certain tax district. The Romans would demand that a certain amount of money be collected from each town or district, and they would put this up for uh, bids, and then these uh, tax collectors would bid on it, and the ones who win the bid had to collect that amount of money every year for the Romans, and they would use all kinds of means to extort that money from the common people. And if they made a little money on the side above and beyond what was the Romans, then they would keep that for themselves and become especially rich. So the chief tax collector had under him the other tax collectors who would also extort money from the common people. So you can see why the people truly did hate them. They became wealthy off of the common people, extorting money to pay the Romans. The region was prosperous at this time, so it's no wonder that Zacchaeus had grown rich. Zacchaeus was a very rich and powerful man in that city, and not many such as these are ever converted. There is one earlier in the book of Luke who went to the temple and prayed for mercy, by contrast to a Pharisee who only praised his virtues. But that Pharisee, that tax collector as well, begged for God's mercy. We're about to read another one of that same sort who repents. And Jesus will see here in this man a repentant, believing heart. And Jesus will recognize him and want to actually go and stay with him. So verse 2, we have this Zacchaeus. Verse 3, he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press or the crowd, because he was little of stature. Now, Jesus had a reputation by that point among his enemies as being a friend even of tax collectors and sinners. So this man, Zacchaeus, wanted to know which man in this crowd was Jesus, but he couldn't see because he was small. Now, historians tell us the average height 
varied from about five feet one to five feet seven. But he is a short man, so he's on the lower side of this. And so he ran, verse four, and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. Sycamore. This word occurs only here, and it's not the American or European sycamore, but one of a mulberry family, often planted close to the roadsides. They had low, spreading uh, branches, easy to climb, even for short people like Zacchaeus. This was a tree common in Syria and Egypt, uh, having the size and the leaves of a mulberry tree, and it had fruits like figs. It's, um, these figs were not commonly eaten by the wealthy, but the poor people did. And they were not as tasty as the ordinary fig. But common people made uh, a meal of it and, and would gather them. These trees could grow up to 30 to 40 feet high. And so this short man decided to climb this tree as Jesus is coming down to road, the road because he wanted to see him. He had sight, but he wanted to see this man that was becoming ever more prominent and noteworthy in that time. This is near the end of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry. So verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at your house. Now, how did Jesus know this man's name? Well, you see, omniscience. He had that power, and this was important for him to accomplish. When Jesus says, today, I must come down or must come with you today. This is used only here in one other place. No, sorry, 11 other places in the gospel according to Luke. But it has a special significance. This was to fulfill God's plan. This is why Jesus had come in order for him to deal with people like Zacchaeus, the sinners. Jesus was noted as a friend of the sinners. And he says, I must abide or lodge with you as well, implying divine necessity. I must stay with you. And so Jesus is on a mission to work with this man to help him overcome, change, grow, and become a disciple, as we will see. Remember, we read in Luke earlier, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he sees fruits already in this man's life, which he's going to accept and work with to bring about full discipleship for this man. I must stay with you, he says to this man. That's kind of a bold statement. Offers of hospitality were valued, and providing hospitality to renowned teachers would be considered an honor. And this act of fellowship indicated acceptance. But nevertheless, respectable people did not normally request hospitality, and especially from someone deemed sinful. Jerusalem remained 17 uphill miles, 
down the road. So Jesus and his disciples would need to spend a night somewhere to get ready for that long journey the next day. The Jews greatly resented these tax collectors because they worked for the Roman government that had invaded Israel, turning it into a subject nation. So Jesus' decision to stay overnight in the home of such a sinner as Zacchaeus uh, was really something that the common people around there could not get over because Zacchaeus had sold out to the Romans. He had mistreated his own people. This was outrageous that this famous rabbi would want to stay with this man. But Jesus says, I must abide at your house. And so the Pharisees and the scribes murmur that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 6, he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus climbed down, made haste. Now, Zacchaeus running to climb a tree was not the ordinary thing for a grown man to do. This was a culture, honor and shame culture, where grown men did not do such a thing. That was something that kids did. Grown men would not run, nor would they climb a tree. That was for little guys. And so he's humbling himself in the eyes of all of his townspeople in order to see this famous teacher. No dignified man would ever climb a tree like this in that era. Zacchaeus may have been aware that one of Jesus' twelve apostles was a former tax collector named Matthew. Matthew wrote one of our four Gospels. This man had gone through that transition from being a hated tax collector to an apostle of Jesus Christ. These men often knew each other. They had kind of a a club, (laughs) so to speak, where they knew the tax collectors and the publicans from town to town. And so he hurries to welcome this guest, to have table fellowship, a mark of acceptance with this teacher. So Zacchaeus, in verse 6, made haste, came down, received him joyfully. Luke likes to mention joy as a response to people responding to God. Joyfully implying that Zacchaeus is acting out of faith and goodwill. And he's going through a transition that you and I call repentance. So the Savior is going to probably spend that whole night, along with his apostles at the home, Zacchaeus' home certainly was adequate to house them all, to give them a night's rest before heading up the road to Passover, where Jesus was about to die. Verse 7. And when they, the common people, the local folks, saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Well, Jesus is going to be in trouble now. He's going to dwell with a sinner. So this probably refers to the crowd of common people from the town itself. And they're murmuring. They're not happy with Jesus' choice of whom to honor with his fellowship. Zacchaeus was this hated sinner of their community. 
And Jesus had gone to stay with him of all people. You've got all these good folks, all these good righteous Pharisees in town. Why doesn't he stay with them? Because, you see, Jesus had said that he came to call sinners to repentance. And this man is already showing the fruit of repentance. And so these folks murmur, verse 7. In the Greek, they're murmuring aloud. They're complaining. They're grumbling. You could just hear them all. You know, going just fills the town with murmuring words of disapproval. Zacchaeus symbolized the authority of a government that was taking the people's money and oppressing them. And Jesus, this famous rabbi, is going to lodge with them, be a guest with this man. This is too much to handle. Well, Zacchaeus had developed a reputation for a lack of integrity. And table fellowship created bonds of friendship. And they all wondered, why would Jesus do this? Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Zacchaeus' confession reveals a repentant heart. He knows what he is, and he knows what he has done. Generous, charitable giving and restitution for dishonest dealings like his characterize a person who repents. It was considered extremely generous to give one-fifth to the poor, but Zacchaeus stated he would give half, half of all of his possessions. So while repayment for extortion, illegally gained money, was 20% of the principal over the principal, Zacchaeus promised to repay fourfold and deal generously with the people of his community. Half of my goods, half of my possessions, are these not fruits of repentance? And they were evident. I will give to the poor. I now propose, in the Greek it's present tense, I'm going to give to the poor. He's making a present vow. Now, when he says, if I have taken anything from any man, even in English, occasionally the word if has the sense of the word since. There's no doubt about his having extorted money from these common people. Since I have taken anything by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. So there's no doubt about it, the word if in this case. The only question was to what extent he had extorted this money. So repentance and faith of this man are genuine. He's showing open-handed generosity, showing that his heart was transformed by his experience with hearing the words of Jesus Christ as he preached along the road. People sometimes paid tax collectors bribes to prevent higher fees from being extorted. Zacchaeus' position would have also allowed him to make false accusations that could lead even to people being imprisoned. People would have to cooperate with him, even if reluctantly. And this man is going above and beyond. Now, what kind of taxation were these people dealing with? Not only did they pay tithes to the Levites and priests, 
But all males over the age of 20 paid a temple tax. And then they paid taxes to the Roman government to fuel the Roman military machine. Taxes were required on crops, people, just being a citizen, slave, or resident. Transportation of goods, sales tax, inheritance tax, business license fees, all these added up. So some have wondered just what proportion of their income were they dishing out every month. Some historians estimate 50 to 80 percent. No wonder these people felt oppressed. The highest percentage of people in Israel were poor and they were being gouged. This was an unfair system. The taxes were collected and sent to Rome through tax farming. Roman governors were responsible to collect so many amount of taxes in each town or district, and they would contract out. And the tax collectors would bid on it, and they would promise to give X amount of, let's say, dollars to the Roman government. And when they extorted the people, they had some on the side for themselves, so they became especially wealthy. They were notorious for their dishonesty. And in the Jewish Mishnah, such people were classified with murderers and robbers, people to whom one does not have to even tell the truth. At least later in Jewish life, they were deprived of civic rights and were not allowed to be judges or witnesses in court. Jericho was a very wealthy city in a very strategic area, and that would have made people like him very wealthy. And he says, if since I've taken things falsely by false accusation, I'm going to restore it fourfold. This four times amount is interesting because in Leviticus, there is a passage that talks about financial fraud. The original amount returned plus 20%. But he says he's willing to go fourfold. Normally, when, one per, when a person made restitution and forgiveness, they would give back at least a portion of their money. Zacchaeus is going well above and beyond, showing again a repentant heart who is resolving on the spot to be different and to be generous to the people of his community. And Jesus is working not only to have this man give this man a salvation, but to have this man accepted and restored back to his community. Verse 9, because look what Jesus says in verse 9. This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. This is one of the few times when Luke actually uses the word salvation in his gospel. Though the theme and the doctrine is filters all through the whole book, but this has a special significance. You see, Jesus in Hebrew is Jehoshua, which means salvation of the Lord. So when he walked across that threshold into this man's home, salvation has come to this house. Jesus embodied salvation. He was the Savior. And he was offering this man the first step towards salvation because Zacchaeus was showing signs 
and fruits of repentance. This is a play on words that Luke wants us to capture. A Jesus whose name meant salvation of the Lord was going into that home. Jesus embodied God's salvation for this man. And he says he was a true son of Abraham. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, Zacchaeus is going to make things right. He's going to give money to the poor. And Jesus said this, that salvation has come to this house. A word that refers not to the building in which they live, but to the whole family, the household. Salvation has come to this household. But earlier in chapter 13, Jesus had used a similar term, daughter of Abraham, for a woman with the spirit of infirmity, 18 years. And it's the only time that phrase appears in our New Testament. She was a daughter of Abraham, a true descendant of Abraham's faith. And now Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. He had become this son through faith in Christ. As Paul later tells us in Galatians, Know you therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Zacchaeus was personally affirmed by Jesus as being a true descendant of Abraham and on his way to enter enter God's family. Galatians 3.29, Paul wrote later, If you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Zacchaeus now, in the eyes of Jesus, is a true Jew, not only of the lineage of Abraham, but walking in the footsteps of Abraham's faith. By faith, Abraham was declared righteous in the eyes of God. And that is what Zacchaeus is displaying here. So Jesus said this to Zacchaeus. Despite all the grumbling, he recognized him as one of his new disciples. And verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite expression for himself in the Gospels. It's a messianic title. It does refer to his humanity, but also to his special status as Messiah. He had come to seek and to save. An important summary of his purpose for his coming at that time. To preach the kingdom of God and to give people an opportunity to repent, to turn to him. Now you see these words, seek, save, lost. These three words had a shepherding context. Shepherds seek to save their flocks who've gone astray, those who are lost. And that's what Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, is doing here. He is the compassionate, searching shepherd who seeks those who've gone astray, including people like Zacchaeus. Even as evil as people like him could be, Jesus was offering this man a return back to the faith. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Jesus said. When he refers to the lost, in chapter 15, Luke told us three parables. 
about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, commonly called the prodigal son. And so lost has this special significance of giving people a chance to come back because with God, all things are possible. And here is a wealthy man who has accepted this offer of repentance. Jesus had come to seek to save those who were lost. And when he talks about son of man seeking those who were lost, this was code word for people who were familiar with the Old Testament as the Jews were. A code word referred to as a ramez that would take them back to an earlier chapter, in this case a prophecy of Ezekiel, that God would send a shepherd who would gather together his flock, which have scattered to the winds, and bring them back together. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's coming to rescue his people that God was calling at that time because he was the great shepherd. Now that story leads naturally right into the parable of the ten pounds, starting in verse 11. And the reason that this parable is told is that they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he is telling them, no, it will not immediately appear. It will come, but in God's Good time. And so this story of Zacchaeus is a story of a rich man who does respond. How even the rich can be converted, though it's very difficult, as Jesus said, for the rich man to come into the kingdom. Here is one who did. Wealth does not have to keep people away from the truth if they respond with a true heart, as this man did. This tax collector made things right and was restored to his community through the effort of this prophet from Nazareth. So as we look at this story in review, we find in verse 3, Zacchaeus has anxiety. He couldn't see because he was short, so he climbs a tree. He has difficulties because he's chief among the publicans, that hated class of people. But, He's earnest. We find him in verse 4 running to climb a tree to pick out Jesus. And then Jesus calls him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. Verse 5, I must abide with you. And then Zacchaeus' haste and obedience in verse 6. He came down and received him joyfully. And Jesus accepted him, received him gladly. And then his conversion. At least the first steps. Verse 9. This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham. What a story with lessons about repentance. And the fruits of repentance. And as bad as people can be. When God gives them that opportunity for salvation. And they act like Zacchaeus. They're on the right track, and they have a chance to enter God's kingdom. This brief story portrays for us the essential changes of heart and life when we repent, and we will soon be heading into Passover season once again. It's always important for us to think about repentance as we come up 
to that spring festival season as we forsake sinful past mistakes. Zacchaeus, as we see in this story, became a brother in the faith to you and me so we can look forward to meeting him in God's kingdom.